And will you turn with me to the book of Galatians, please? The book of Galatians. Just while you're looking that up, if you do feel you need to take the chi- a child out, we'd ask you to try and cut down movement as much as possible, if possible at all. But there is, the toilets are here, but if you need to go through, um, you feel free. And also, out, out there, the, the, the services out there also that you could, if you feel that you uh, cannot uh, settle your child and you need to go out for a while, you'll also not miss anything out there too. Okay, the book of Colossians, please. So pardon me, Galatians. Galatians, did I say Colossians or Galatians? I said Galatians, yeah, we're going to stay in Galatians. Um, That's a good start, isn't it? Galatians chapter 3, beginning to read at verse 21. Galatians chapter 3 and verse 21. Is the law then against the promises of God? See, there's a sermon on its own. Is the law then against the promises of God? God forbid. For if there had been a law given which could have given life, verily righteousness should have been by the law. But the scripture hath concluded all under sin, that the promise by faith of Jesus Christ might be given to them that believe. But before faith came, we were kept under the law, shut up unto the faith which should afterwards be revealed. Wherefore the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ, that we might be justified by faith. But after that faith has come, we are no longer under a schoolmaster, for you are all the children of God by faith in Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Father, would you now take your own divine inspired word again and write it upon our hearts and imprint it upon each and every mind. And we pray, O God, that you would move again by thy spirit and cause it to come alive in each and every one of us. We pray, O God, that you would glorify your only begotten Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, that he alone would be seen, that his glory would be made known, that his blood might be applied again tonight, Lord, not only to this meeting, to the hearts of men and women, but to maybe someone who has not yet come to faith in him, should they be here. So, Father, glorify your Son. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Tonight we want to speak on the gospel and the perfect law of God. The gospel and the perfect law of God. We're told in many pulpits today and among many Christians that there's no longer the law of God in effect, that the law of God is no longer needed, that the law of God is done away with, that the law of God is abolished, and that all who are in Christ are simply under grace, giving the illusion that men and women may live in sin and still claim Christ as their Savior. Is the law important this evening? Is the law still in effect this evening? And is the law of God still for our learning this evening? Yes, yes, and absolutely yes. Now, are you asking me, am I saying... Are we saved by keeping the law? 
The answer is no. 100 times, 1,000 times, no. And notice even in our scripture reading here in Galatians chapter 3, notice what it says here in verse 22, but the scripture hath concluded all under sin. Every man and woman, all of us, the scripture concludes us that we're sinners. Every one of us, all under sin. That the promise by faith of Jesus Christ might be given to them that believe. So the promises that are yea and amen in Christ alone, when Christ comes through the prophets, that is, the speaking through the prophets of the coming of Christ, and the salvation that would be found in him. And now we find that the law is no longer, or is not against these promises. He says, God forbid, in verse 21. And then in verse 22, he says, you're all under sin if you're not under Christ. You're all under sin if you're not in Christ, and Christ is not in you. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Every single one of us, every man and every woman. Now notice what the apostle says. It says in verse 22 that the promise by faith Jesus Christ might be given to them that believe. Faith in Christ and us believing in what he's accomplished at Calvary is what saves and cleanses a man from all their sin. Notice what it says in verse 23. But before faith came, we were kept under the law, shut up unto the faith which should afterwards be revealed. Now notice, Wherefore the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ. The law is not a schoolmaster to bring you to salvation because you cannot keep the law of yourself. We feel the law. We'll look at it tonight in the Lord's will. And notice it brings us to Christ. It doesn't bring us to a denomination. It doesn't bring us into a communion or a fellowship with men who are pontiffs or priests, nor ministers, nor pastors. It brings us to Christ. It doesn't bring us to good works. It doesn't bring us into a place of good works and salvation through the good works. It brings us to Christ and Christ alone. And then notice that we might be justified by faith, declared righteous by faith that is in Christ alone. The only way a man and a woman can be forgiven of their sin is through the blood of Christ alone, cleansed in the blood by faith in Christ alone. And the only way a man and a woman under the law found guilty, all sold under sin, can be washed and cleansed and forgiven of their sins is through the blood of Jesus and faith in him alone. That's in a nutshell, isn't it? I want to look at this because we are saved by grace alone. Sovereign grace that has found us and reached us. But to hear many in the pulpit today, the law has no more bearing on any one of us. We want to look at this, how that's not true. That's not true. You see, people tend to think that, I've heard preachers say, those who preach the law, they're preaching death. I've even heard people say, those who preach the law are preaching to their carnality. Friend, I want to tell you, we're told that the law is spiritual. The law of God is spiritual. And the law of God will continue to be spiritual in the hearts of believers as God writes his law within our hearts. 
those who are saved by grace through faith. Then we hear the old saying that the opposite of law is grace. I need you to get this, that the opposite of law is grace. That is, it's a learned and a quaint saying by many in churches today and many Christians, you know, well, it's either law or grace. The opposite of law is grace. That's not true. That is not right. Rather, the opposite of law is not grace, but the opposite of law is lawlessness. And so we have those who say the law is dead. They become known as antinomians. There is no law. Notice this also. Grace is not the opposite of law. And the opposite of law is lawlessness. Now, if you drive through Guildford here tonight in a 30-mile-an-hour zone, and the law says 30 miles per hour, and you're driving at 40, 50 miles per hour, and the policeman steps out before you, stops you with a speed gun, and shows you your speed is 40 or 50, whatever it is, miles per hour, you can see you have broken the law. You deserve to be fined. You deserve to pay a penalty because you've broken the law. And then the policeman says, you know what, I'm going to let you off. You're admitting your guilt. I'm guilty as charged. I deserve to be fined. I deserve to have the, the book thrown at me because of the speed I was doing in this place. Guilty as charged. The policeman says, you know what, I'm going to let you off today. He shows you grace. And off you go, free. You were lawless, breaking the law. Grace enabled you to carry on, even though really you're a lawbreaker. Now you come through Guilford tomorrow, and you think the policeman, if he catches me, I know he'll let me off, and you do 40 miles per hour in the 30 zone, and he shows you again your guilt. You're a lawbreaker. Your lawlessness, if you keep doing it and doing it and doing it day after day after day, thinking he will let me off, grace will find me. He may let you off through grace finding you. But nonetheless, you've become lawless in your heart. No longer respecting the law that was before thee, nor the law that is written for you to obey. But when we learn our lesson, as it were, and we realize we must do the 30, guess what happens? Grace still finds us. Because there's going to be sometimes we go over the limit unwittingly. Such is the law of God in the hearts of men and women. We fail him. We break the law even unwittingly. And sovereign grace Abundance of grace enables us to go on in Christ. The law mentioned here, it's mentioned in verse 21, is the law then against the promises of God? It's the law against the promises of God. God forbid, never let it be so said, or away with the thought, that's the idea of God forbid. Or you and I in Northern Ireland, we might say, get away of that way. 
is the law. Against the promises of God. And then when we come down to verse 24. Wherefore the law was our schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. Now the word law is the word onomo. Onomo. I need you to listen for this is what it means. It's akin to a word called nemo. And it means to divide, to distribute out as prescribed. To divide or to distribute out as prescribed. And God gave us the law. And he would divide it out. He would distribute it to us as he would prescribe it. I.e. from Mount Sinai. Now I notice this. The word nomos that is closely linked to it or law means this. That which is set up as a standard for the administration of justice. That which is set up as standard for the administration of justice. God meted it out. God gave out. God divided out. The administration of his justice. Here's my standard. Can you lift up to it? Can you live up to it? Ken Davidson, here's my standard. Can you live up to it? Arne Wilkins, here's my standard. Can you live up to it? And never break it. Timmy and Zara Wright, can you live up to it and never break it? And we find that all have sinned as all have fallen short of the mark by trying even to keep the law. And we find we're sinners in the sight of God. Every single one of us. Now notice, God meets out his law for his administration of justice. Listen to what it says in 1 John chapter 3 and verse 4. 1 John 3 and 4. Whosoever committeth sin transgresseth also the law. You notice that? This is the word of God. This isn't me saying this to make it up. Whosoever sin, committeth sin, transgresseth also the law. For sin is the transgression of the law. So whenever we are sinning, what are we doing? We are transgressing God's law. We are breaking God's law. Every time. Every time a man and woman are sinning, we just call them sinners. They're breaking the law of God. They're transgressing God's law. And so, let us define the law in the four divisions. Because people say the law is all done away with. It's no good and no use anymore. It's antiquated Old Testament jargon. And let's just live on in the new covenant. Absolutely let us live on in the new covenant. But let's look at the law and you'll see how it's throughout the very New Testament in our Bibles. Now notice, four-fold division of God's law. First of all, if you're writing it down, you have the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments are the Decalogue. The Decalogue is that moral law of God to govern or to personally conduct ourselves before God. It's the moral law of God. Is that done away with? We'll look at it in a moment, but let me run this past you. What if someone was after your wife and said, it's okay, we don't need the law? Or your husband? Is that okay? What if someone came and killed some of your family? Is that okay? No. What if someone stole your car and said, it's all right. We're under grace. 
if they've broken God's law. Thou shalt not steal. So the law is the whole way through. The moral law of God. Now I notice this. The commandments is one. Statutes. Statutes is two. Laws for national life. This is what statutes are. Laws for national life. Health, business, finance, agriculture, marriage, and to do with crime. I'll read it again. Statutes are laws for national life. Health, business, finance, agriculture, marriage, and crime. To do with crime. So the laws that our nation are founded on, and of course man then makes his laws to come from the basis of those, were founded in the Decalogue of God. And notice the laws for national life, for your health. God tells us what's good to eat and what's not to eat. God tells us that we should wash over with running water, not stagnant water, because it becomes full of germs. God's word tells us in business how we are to direct our business with weights and measures. God's law, it's his law, tells us how to govern our finances, that we should not have debt usury as the one-worlders have us under today. God's law is against debt usury. Yet our nation is sinking in debt. God's law tells us of agriculture that we are to farm one field in seven to be left out that it may start to uh, replenish the, the nutrients in the soils again. God's law tells us all of this, how to live our lives. And of course, God's law for marriage between one man, one woman. And crime, how we, we are to deal with criminals and crime. It's not done away with. Thirdly is the judgments of God's law. God's law or judgments as God's sentences which are decreed for specific crimes. God tells us how to deal with them. Which sentences which were to be administered by the rulers of the nation and how to rule them. And fourthly was the ordinances of the law. The ordinances. The religious laws. The rituals of the tabernacle and then the temple, the animal sacrifices, and they were later added. Why? Because of man's sin. The ordinances were for man's sin in the tabernacle and then the temple in Jerusalem. The slaying of animals and the rituals for the priests. So notice this, the first one, the Decalogue. The Ten Commandments shows us our sin. I want you to get it. The Ten Commandments shows you you're a sinner. And the ordinances was to show you the blood must be shed for your sin to be paid. It was animal sacrifice and it was ritual in the ordinances. So what is wrong with the law of God? Here's your answer. Nothing. Nothing. Secondly, why has the law of God become a tyrant to many of the, I'll put it in brackets, because we all believe in the grace of God. 
we all live in grace, but the grace or the hyper-grace preachers, why has the law of God become a tyrant? It's become a tyrant because they say it's death, but rather I say it shows us ourselves and points us to life. Points us to life in Christ. Psalm 19, if you will turn with me for a few moments. There's something to show you this evening. What is wrong with God's law? Psalm 19 and verse 7 says these words. The law of the Lord is perfect. The law of the Lord is perfect. What does it do? Converting. Are you reading this? The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. How does it convert the soul? You can't be saved by keeping the law. And we agree with that. Because it shows us our need of a sacrificial lamb. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the law are right. Rejoicing the heart. The commandments of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The commandments, the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments enlightens our eyes. In other words, it gives the idea of someone whose eyesight was blind or dim starting to progress to full view. Reading the law, the Decalogue enlightens our eyes and says, Oh Lord, Hi, I have failed you. To where do we go then? To where do you go, friend? Where do we go? It's like the songwriter says, where would I go? Or where could I go? But to the Lord. See, the law is our schoolmaster bring us on to Christ. Now notice, please stay with me. In Romans chapter 8, in verse 3, it says, For what the law could not do, notice what the law could not do, in that it was weak through flesh. What does that mean? What could the law not do that it was weak through flesh? It's weak through your flesh and it's weak through my flesh. It's weak through, through our flesh. In other words, you and I, and we could not keep the law. The law is perfect, converting the soul. But when it comes to men and women, dead in trespasses and sins because they're breaking it from their very mother's womb. You see, sinning doesn't make you a sinner. I'm going to say it again. Sinning does not make you a sinner. You sin because you already are one. It's in the nature. It's in your nature. For that the law could not do and that it was weak through the flesh. Notice this, beautiful. God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. Not in sinful flesh now, mind you. Not in sinful flesh. God sent the son in the likeness. He was fully man, and he was fully God. Abraham's seed. 
God sending his own, his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin condemned sin in the flesh. Well, notice Jesus condemned sin in the flesh. Jesus condemned that which was condemning you. Isn't that beautiful? We're all under condemnation. And Jesus came and condemned that in the flesh. He took it from us. And now we are no longer in condemnation because Christ has taken the condemnation in his own body and paid our debt. Friend, if you're not saved tonight, you're still under condemnation. If you're not Christ tonight, then you're still under condemnation. If you're walking after the flesh tonight, you're still under condemnation. But Christ hath paid your debt that you might be saved that you might go free from the condemnation. Notice this also. So did Jesus do away with the law of God? We are told that Jesus is the end of the law for righteousness for them that believe. It's in, well, not turn to Romans 10, I think it's verse 3. But notice it was Jesus is the end of the law for righteousness. It doesn't say Jesus ended the law. It says that Jesus came and because you are unrighteous, I was unrighteous because we were transgressors and we had broken the law. Jesus came and he ended that which was upon us and made us righteous, gave us his righteousness. So did Jesus destroy the law of God? Well, let's hear it from his own lips. In Matthew chapter 5 and verse 17, listen to what the Savior says himself. Think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. Notice, think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill. In other words, all the prophets throughout the Old Testament, they were pointing to him. He's coming. He's coming. He's coming. He's coming. He's coming. And as the man said, never man speak like this man speaking of Christ. He said, I am come. I am come. He fulfilled the prophets in everything they said. To him, give all the prophets witness, says the scriptures. Notice this. The words here to destroy means to throw down, to dissolve, to bring to naught. To throw down, to dissolve, to bring to naught. Did Jesus come to throw down the law, to destroy the law, to dissolve the law, and to bring the law to naught? He said, I'm not come to do that. He said he hadn't come for that. I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill. Now the word fulfill needs a little look at it. It's the word plerao. And this is what it means. To carry out to the full. To cause God's will as made known in the law. Notice, let me say it again. To cause God's will as made known in the law to be obeyed as it should be. Let me just nutshell this for you for a moment. What he was actually saying was, I am come not to dissolve it, 
Not to say it's no good anymore, to put away the law of God. No, no, no. I'm come to fulfill it. I am come, he says, that whenever I fulfill that which you cannot fulfill, I keep that law which you have failed at. I am holy and righteous and just and true when you, I, all of us, have broken the law of God. He says, and I'm come to show you how to walk in the law of God. Stay with me. To cause God's will to be made known in the law, to be obeyed as it should be, and God's promises given through the prophets to receive fulfillment, to carry into effect and to bring to realization who he is. Oh, see, when I look at this moral law alone, how sinful I am, how great a transgressor I am. And he says, I carry it out. I show you how it's done. And only he could do it. And when I look at him, it brings me to the realization that he is my sin bearer, that he has done it all, that I might be free. Isn't that marvelous? Are you with me in this? Can you understand that? This is our Savior. This whimsical, airy, fairy, uh, you know, ask Jesus glibly into your heart to get a notch on the, on the staff of evangelism is not real. It's repentance unto life to walk with Christ. The law, was it done away with at Calvary then? Yes? I know. For example, we mentioned the four parts, the commandments, statutes, judgments, ordinances. Commandments, statutes, judgments, and ordinances. The first one reveals our sin. The commandments reveals our sin. The last one, the ordinances, atone for our sin. The blood that was shed, atone for the sin. Now the ordinances were done away at Calvary. Why? Because Jesus is the Lamb of God. The Lamb to finish all sacrificial lambs. The last Lamb. The final Lamb. The beloved Son of the Father. Now ordinances and the ritual were done away in Christ. We are, as our reading said tonight, the temple of the living God. So what was done away with let me just back this up by Scripture. Ephesians chapter 2, please. You're getting like a Bible study tonight, aren't you? Ephesians chapter 2. And we'll just read a couple of verses. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 14 and 15. Speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ, Paul writes, for he is our peace, who hath made both one and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us. Notice, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in, what does it say? 
ordinances. He abolished that commandment, the ordinances of God, because he fulfilled them all. You see, when Jesus died and shed his blood, do you see whenever he died, the veil was rent from the top to the bottom? There's no more temple but the temple which is his body. That's you and I, believer. Jesus paid our debt in full. I don't mean to offend, but I'm not waiting or looking or even wanting another temple in Jerusalem. I'm not looking for it. We are the temple of the Holy Ghost who dwells in us. The Lamb's blood was shed once and for all. And listen, it's not taken every time you sit at a mass or go to one. And it's not even taken on a Sunday you come here and we break bread and drink. Well, we drink red juice, but we don't say it's the blood. It's a remembrance of what he's done. Once and for all, never to be repeated ever, 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 ever again. Christ hath paid it all. Now I notice, notice this. Colossians chapter 2, verses 13 and 14 says, And you being dead in your sins, that's you and I, brother, sister, you and I being dead because we're transgressors, lawbreakers. That's what it means. You have broken God's law. And you being dead in your sins, the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him, or made alive in him, having forgiven you your trespasses. Isn't that beautiful? Notice blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way. What did he do? Nailing it. Where? Where? Come on, let the devil hear it. Kneeling it to a cross. His cross. So in Galatians chapter 3 and verse 13, it says, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. From the curse of the law being made a curse for us. For as it is written, cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. And you write down beside that, Deuteronomy chapter 21, verse 33, I think. And you write there, because you'll look that up, and what is it? It's out of the law of God. He became a curse in law that we might go free from the curse of the law. The law of the Ten Commandments, the moral law of God, doesn't save you because we can't keep it. Rather, it condemns you. It curses you. And here's what it does. It reveals your sin. Listen to Romans chapter 7 and verse 7. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? God forbid. Never let it be so said. Away with the thought. That's the idea of it. Or the Northern Ireland version, the NIV. Not the real, the other NIV, the Northern Ireland version. Get away that way. Come on. That's what he's saying. 
What shall we say then? Is the law sin? God forbid. Nay, I had not known sin but by the law. You're told, let's just preach love and love and love and love and love. You know what happens? I, I love the love of God. I live in the love of God. I'm before him in love. And I love him. And he loves me. But I can tell you something. You can preach so much love to people. You know what happens? They don't know what they're saved from. And they're not saved at all. Now go to your devil's hell. Paul said, I had not known sin but by the law. For I had not known lust, except the law had said, Thou shalt not covet. What's he using? The moral law of God, the Ten Commandments. Paul says, Because it says, Thou shalt not sin, or Thou shalt not covet, he says, I'm realizing I'm a cover. I'm covetous. I'm a sinner. And then he says in verse 12, Romans 7 and 12, Wherefore the law is holy, and the commandment holy and just and good. And then at the end of verse 13 he says, That sin by the commandment might become exceeding sinful. I I would ask you, brother, sister, friend, tonight, how many places do we hear today where we're hearing, yeah, we're hearing about sin and we're hearing about this, but how do we hear how deep our sin was? The, the, the brevity of it, the, the depths of our depravity. And the gracious, great stoop of Christ who came right into the middle of it and dug us out. Paul says, when I realized the holiness of the law, he says, I realize I'm exceeding sinful. And people are running around thinking, I'm a good person. I'm not that bad. I can tell you, Christian, I believe that God keeps us when we're saved, truly saved by grace. I believe that. But I can tell you, I don't want to stand before him and be ashamed of him at his coming. Listen to, I don't usually quote more modern people. It's mostly the Puritans and the Reformers I would quote and so forth and maybe Spurgeon and so on. But listen to Warren Wearsby. I thought this was good. Instead of being a dynamo that gives us power to overcome, the law is a magnet that draws out of us all kinds of sin and corruption. The law shows us exactly what we are, depraved, unable to save ourselves. And people get offended. You know why? Because they're being brought into the light. No, don't speak like that to me. I don't want to know that. Listen to Adam Clark. If anybody's got Adam Clark's comedy, it's one of the classics. He was an old Methodist preacher. Actually, his church is up in Port Rush, and he's another one in Port. Well, he had one. He's not here for the last hundred and so years. But <laughs> a, when you go through Port Rush there, and you're coming through from the other end of the town, you come down where the road splits like this, and you go that way to Barry's. Well, that church in the middle was Adam Clark's church. 
And listen to what he says. The law, therefore, is the grand instrument in the hands of a faithful minister to alarm and to awaken sinners. Can you hear the alarm bells ringing? Is there anybody awakening, being enlightened tonight of who we are before Christ, but then who we are in the Lord Jesus Christ? And Puritan William Secker, listen to what he says. The law by which God rules us is as dear to him as the gospel by which he saves us. And isn't that true? Let me just for a, a few moments look at the Decalogue briefly and quickly. This is them. You can read Exodus 20 and Deuteronomy 5 and you'll find the commandments there. It was known as the Ten Commandments. Notice the first one we're just editing it for time's sake. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Now I notice this. The Lord Jesus says in Matthew 4 and 10, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thy serve. And there's none others. Him only before him. The second one, Thou shalt not make, make unto thee any graven image. It's used again in the in, this, in the New Testament, 1 John chapter 5, verse 21, John simply writes, keep yourselves from idols or from idolatry. It's like the, the, the old poet, well, hymn writer once wrote, the greatest idol I have known, whatever that idol be, help me to tear it from thy throne and worship only thee. What idol is in the hearts of us tonight? What is in the heart of man and woman tonight that needs torn down and Christ replaced as first uh, king of our lives, Lord and Savior of our souls? He alone should rule and reign in every heart. Thirdly, thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. Now, we tend to think that as using Jesus' name flippantly or as a swear word, as we've said. That, that can be applied. But do you know what this really means? It means when you take my name, live up to my name. Live up to my name. It's not live how you like and use my name. It isn't use my name for your riches. It isn't use my name for all your glories. It isn't use my name for your wills, your wants, your desires to live how you like and claim my name and think you're going to my glory. He says, live up to my name. His name is holy. His name is Jesus. Listen, 1 Timothy 6 and 1. Let as many servants as are under the yoke count their own masters worthy of all honor that the name of God and his doctrine be not blasphemed. He says, live up to the name of Christ. Fourthly, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. We can tell you and argue, what is the Sabbath day? Uh -huh. Saturday Sabbath or Sunday Sabbath. That's a story for another time. Notice this. Matthew 2, verses 27 and 28. For the Sabbath was made for man, Jesus said, not man for the Sabbath. Therefore, the Son of Man is Lord also of the Sabbath. You see, Jesus was not afraid to take the law of God and show it in his ministry and his life, telling the kingdom of God and the gospel. Fifthly, honor thy father and thy mother, that thy days may be long upon the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. 
Matthew 19 and 19, Jesus said, Honor thy father and thy mother. Sixthly, thou shalt not kill, or that you be, thou shalt do no murder. Because in the law, we are told in national life that a murderer should be put to death. That's what's wrong with Ulster tonight. To kill means different than to murder. To murder means the innocent, but to kill means judicial. Thou shalt do no murder, and it's mentioned in Mark 10 and 19, Luke 18 and 20, Romans 13 verses 8 to 10, and again, if you turn with me to Matthew 5, I want to show you a little bit before, we are getting to the end of this, so thank you for your attention. Matthew 5 verses 27 and 28, Notice what the Lord says. Did he do away with the law? Not at all. He fulfilled the law. Did he abolish it for you and I? Not at all. Look what he says here. Matthew 5, verses 21 and 22. Jesus says, You have heard that it is said by them of old time, Thou shalt not kill, and whosoever shall kill shall be in danger of judgment. But I say unto you that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause, angry with his brother without a cause, shall be in danger of the judgment, and whoso shall say unto his brother Racha, shall be in danger of the council. But whosoever shall say, thy fool, shall be in danger of hellfire. You know what Jesus was saying? If you kill your brother with anger without a cause in your heart, or your sister, anger without a cause in your heart, you've already committed murder in your heart, you're deemed as guilty as a murderer. He didn't do away with the law. He amplified the law. And he shows us the depths of our depravity. Make sense to you? He's saying to us, you're worse than you even think you are. Seven is thou shalt not commit adultery. Matthew 19 and 18, Luke 18 and 20. And while we're in Matthew 5, look at verse 27. You have, said, you have heard it was said by them of old time, thou shalt not commit adultery. But I say unto you that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her in his heart. And what he's saying is he's amplifying the law, the moral commandments of God. He says, do you see if you're looking on that sister? Or do you see, sister, if you're looking at that brother and you're looking with lust in your heart, you're an adulterer. You know what an old man said? He says, if the best man's sins were written upon his forehead, it would make him pull his hat down over his eyes. Isn't that right? Jesus amplifies the law. In number eight, thou shalt not steal. Ephesians chapter four and verse 28, Paul writes, let him that stole, steal no more. Number nine, thou shalt not bear false witness or lie. Romans 13 and 9, Paul says, bear no false witness. Don't lie, he says. And tenthly, thy, thy, thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife, possessions, and so on, it means. Romans 7 and 7, I had not known lust, except the law had said, thou shalt not covet. Now, brothers and sisters, friend, if you're not saved, how are you measuring up? 
How are you measuring up? In our reading in Galatians chapter 3, in our reading in Galatians chapter 3, notice here what Paul writes. Let your eye run down, please. To verse 24, wherefore the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ that we might be justified by faith. The law is saying, here's you, who you really are. Here's who you are. Ken Davidson, here's who you are. Dave Anderson, and go right along. Johnny Neal, Jenny Neal, Daniel Ramsey. Yeah, go on, and go on, and go on. Here's who you are. But because my son has died for you, because he shed his blood for you, he's taken away the ordinances and he's done something that's eternal. And because you're accepting and believing in him is enough, then I'm going to declare you not guilty. I'm going to declare you righteous. And you may fail, Ken Davidson, and you may fall, and you may falter, he says, but my grace abounds over your sin. But don't you be lawless, son, and live how you like Make sense to you? Yes. Declared righteous in Christ. He kept the law, took our sin, and gave us his righteousness. <coughs> and when the Father sees us, he sees us holy. I'm coming to a close. Thank you for your attention. Wherefore the law was our schoolmaster. The word schoolmaster here is the word pedagogos or pedagogos. Two different renderings. And it means, gives the idea of one who was entrusted. For example, a rich Roman or Greek or someone who with money would have taken on a servant to look after their children. Like, a, like you would get someone now, look after the children, we're going to work or whatever. But what they had to do was they had to be strict with the children. They had to tell the children when to get up, what to eat, take them to school. They had to make sure they were protected. And if they stepped out of line, they were very stern and straight with the children. And they were known as the pedagogas. And they done that day after day, day after day, year after year, year in, year out. And even as they grew, they taught them the manners how to walk right as a citizen. That was the schoolmaster. It's not to do with school, for the word just is different here. That's what it was. And he says, the law was like that to you and I. The law shows us this is who you are. And it can be stern. It can be strict. But it says, I'm leading you in the right way to point you to Christ. I'm bringing you to, I'm bringing you to Jesus. Friends, see tonight, you know where we're bringing you? To Jesus. To Jesus. To the Lord Jesus Christ. I love the, the words in John 8, verse 36. Pastor Arn, I think, mentioned them in his prayer. And we always mention, therefore, or if the Son, therefore, shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. Free from what? Free from what? Free from the curse of the law. Free from your sin. The hymn writer Philip Bliss, 
he wrote that song once heaven seemed a far off place till Jesus showed a smiling face now else be gone within my soul will last till the endless ages roll oh hallelujah yes tis heaven tis heaven to know my sins forgiven or land or sea what matters where where Jesus says tis heaven there oh he wrote that with other many other lovely hymns but this is the words of a hymn that he wrote free from the law Oh, happy condition. Jesus hath bled and there is remission. Cursed by the law and bruised by the fall. Christ hath redeemed us once and for all. Once and for all. Oh, sinner, receive it. Once and for all. Oh, brother, believe it. Christ hath redeemed us. Cling to the cross. Thy burden will fall. Christ hath redeemed us once and for all. What a saviour. Friend, I could go on. Time is gone. There's many times Jesus says, if you love me, do you love him? Believer, do you love him? Let us hear. Then let the devil hear. Do you love him? You know what he says? If you love me, Keep my commandments. (laughs) Jesus said that. If you you love me, keep my commandments. And then he says, a new commandment I give unto thee, that you love one another. When the law was given to Moses, the two tables, what we read out was commandment one, to four, that is the moral commandments we're speaking of. One to four, it shows our relationship between us and God. And then from five down to ten, it shows our it's the commandments between one another. It's the two tables of commandments. It goes that way, and then he goes that way. And this is what he says: If you love me. You'll keep them. Love him first, brother. Love him first, sister. And walk before him. Because you love him. Jesus said, I'll write my laws in their inward parts. In the new covenant, Jeremiah 31, verses 31 to 33, Hebrews chapter 8, I will write my law in their inward parts. The new covenant made. I write it in their hearts. May God bless his word to us. And I trust you're freed from the curse of the law. And you're cleansed in the blood from all of your sin. Praise the Lord. Isn't God good? Glad I'm saved. Saved by grace.